turn to the letter of James today as we go on our journey through the Bible. This is one of my favorite books in the whole Bible, one of Jill's as well. Uh, it's just filled with practical wisdom and guidance, and it really doesn't pull any punches, to use a boxing analogy, uh, about the truth and how we are called to live. So let me begin by saying, have you noticed how angry so many people seem to be these days? How are you doing with anger? Do you find yourself feeling angry? And if you do, how are you expressing it? I think people seem to be meaner, ruder, and angrier and a significant amount of that is fueled by social media where people feel free to say and express things that they would not necessarily say and express to someone face to face. And yet even face to face, people are angrier, ruder, and increasingly violent. People seem to hate people they disagree with. And much of the hate and anger we're witnessing sadly, is being fueled by individuals who describe themselves as Christians. And as James would say, brothers and sisters, this should not be so. And it greatly hinders our witness to people who are not yet followers of Christ. In the letter of James, in chapter 1, beginning at verse 19, we have a description of the way life should be followed immediately by a description of the way life is. And at the heart of it is anger. Listen to what James says. You must understand this, my beloved. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. For your anger does not produce God's righteousness. Therefore, rid yourselves, listen to this phrase, of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. Anger. The word itself has an unpleasant ugly sound. And anger is a word we associate with yelling, with screaming, things being broken, with abuse and violence and even murder. Anger can be loud or anger can cause us to seethe in silence as we allow it to fester internally as resentment until it is triggered and we blow up. Anger produces a host of physical problems, including ulcers, high blood pressure, and according to growing evidence, anger can directly trigger heart attacks. Dr. Murray Middleman, who was then the director of cardiovascular epidemiology, at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center in Boston did a study of more than 1,600 heart attack survivors, male and female, which showed that in the two-hour period after an individual feels intense anger, 
heart attack risk more than doubles. So for your own self-preservation, this is an important issue. Of all our emotions, anger, I think, is the most destructive and the most dangerous. And too frequently, uncontrolled anger has tragic consequences. Anger can be a response to unmet expectations, irritation or frustration when things don't go our way, or a demonstration of hostility when someone has a different opinion. Anger can be a defensive response to a hurtful attack or to a real or perceived threat to one's well-being or self-esteem. Not all anger is sinful. In fact, focused and disciplined properly, anger can lead to positive action. It can lead to protection, to justice, to change. One form of anger is what we call righteous indignation, the kind of anger we feel when we witness or learn about an act of injustice or wickedness or violence or greed that harms people. And this is the anger that Jesus expressed when he drove people out of the temple in Matthew chapter 21 saying, it is written, my house shall be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. However, we need to be careful about when we're angry, claiming that it's righteous indignation. And your anger is something else. Because while we have Christ in us, those of us who are believers, none of us is Jesus. And what we call righteous indignation about our own behavior may merely be self-justification. Or trying to get our own way with holy language thrown on top of it. And while not all anger is wrong, uncontrolled anger frequently leads to sin and all manner of evil. Think of the phrases you use to describe what happens when you get angry. I lost control, which correctly suggests that anger is something we can learn to control with God's help. I wasn't myself which when you think about it is one of the stupidest things you can say as a human being. What, you were somebody else? You were another person for a few moments there? And of course, what we mean to convey is I, I wasn't the self I want to be, right? But you hear the divorcing ourselves from responsibility from what we just had done? I blew my top. I went ballistic. They both convey the violent, explosive power of anger. Now, the Bible, you probably aren't surprised, has a great deal to say about anger. And diffusing and disarming anger so it loses its destructive power is really difficult. And it's so difficult that Proverbs 16, verse 32 says, One who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and one whose temper is controlled than one who captures a city. In other words, it's easier to capture a city by force than it is to overcome your own anger and temper. Psalm 37 verse 8 urges, refrain from anger and forsake wrath. 
do not fret. It leads only to evil. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verses 17 and 29, one who is quick-tempered acts foolishly, and the schemer is hated. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but one who has a hasty temper exalts folly. One more, Proverbs 15, verse 1. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. These scriptures and many others that I could quote communicate the truth that you, and I mean you, are your own greatest foe. You are your own greatest foe when it comes to spiritual growth and how you handle anger. In today's scripture from James, verse 19 describes the way life should be. Let everyone be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. This is easier said than done. Anyone want to say amen to that? And the key to being quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger, and this is the really hard part, is you are not the focus. The other person is. If your first step is to listen so that you can understand and hear and learn and discover more about the other person, you'll be less likely to get quickly defensive or reactive or feel the need to justify your own position, view, or understanding, or to correct a poor, mistaken other person you're having a conversation with. And this is true when discussing any controversial topic. If you're slow to speak, even take a little pause for a few moments. In your head, count to ten before you speak. Some cases, you may say, I'm going to get back to you later. Because you need to take time. Go for a walk. Take some silence before replying or saying something that you will regret. If you're quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, you'll find anger doesn't sprout out as quickly. The more your focus is on Christ, the more your focus is on trying to listen and understand the other person, the easier this becomes. And the more you're at the center of your universe, the harder it is to do these three things. Quick to listen. Two ears, one mouth. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger is God's vision for human relationships and interaction. However, this isn't always the way that many of us act or behave. It sounds so simple, yet how many of us grew up in a home where this was the norm? Is this the norm in your home now? 
How confident are you that your family and friends would describe you this way? For some of us, the answer is they would because you are. Praise God. For some of us, is it possible people would be more likely to say, well, you're more slow to listen and quick to speak and quick to anger? I mean, I'm just the name of sharing. The first two of these three have been a challenge for me for years. I'm a raging extrovert, which means I love being with people. I don't know what I think until I hear what I say. <laughs> you know, and, and, and being quick to speak, I mean, that's an occupational hazard as a preacher. So, I mean, if I've gotten any better at, at those first two things over the last 33 years, Jill deserves a lot of the credit because she's been that way as long as I've known her. But in our culture, let's take the, a little wider view for a moment, take it off of ourselves. In our culture, behaviors that were once admired as the mark of a committed Christian or a mature adult or a cultured person being quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, being respectful, telling the truth, not shooting off one's mouth and saying anything with your thinking, whether it's wise or foolish, helps or hurts, cuts or instructs, have seemingly been replaced in too many people by uncontrolled, undisciplined, angry, lying, selfish, foolish, hateful, ignorant behavior and speech. Does anyone else not see this change? And if you want to see less of this behavior in our country, you need to stop supporting it. You need to stop supporting it by no longer watching or listening to media outlets and sources that peddle this garbage day after day. Because as long as it's profitable, Individuals and corporations will keep fostering and peddling anger, and so will politicians, as long as it helps them win elections. And what does all this unrestrained anger, which is flowing all through our culture, produce and lead to? James tells us, your anger does not produce God's righteousness. It doesn't. And when anger gets the best of us, it reveals the worst in us. Anger can do tremendous damage to us personally, to our relationships, and to other people. And Christians are not exempt from this behavior. One time when our family was on vacation, we went to worship on a summer Sunday morning in a place that, was, that didn't have air conditioning and it was sweltering hot. And during worship, there was a young family seated near us and one of the boys who was maybe nine or ten was fanning himself with an open hymnal because it was just so hot. And after a few minutes, a woman sitting in the row right in front of him turned around and snapped, do you know how annoying you are? Now, ironically, the gospel message that morning was from Matthew 11, where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary. 
and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Now, which do you think that boy will remember longer? The words of Jesus or the words of that angry woman who turned on him and snapped? When people are with us, not just when we're at church, but anywhere, we want them to remember, hopefully, how Jesus lives in us and not destructive anger. And by destructive anger, I mean everything from verbal abuse, like screaming, like mean-spirited criticism, to physical abuse and violence and even murder. And every day, and I mean every day, we can read accounts of people committing violent crimes because they didn't properly handle their anger. And I could have chosen countless examples of that from the last two weeks, and I didn't even bother because there's so many you can think of your own. So how do you learn how to disarm your anger so you don't do something that you and others regret, maybe even for the rest of your life? How do you learn so you can live with grace and patience and all the fruit of the Spirit rather than allowing anger to run and ruin your life, your relationships, and your decisions? Well, one person observed that anger is a divinely implanted emotion, part of God's image in the human personality, and it is to be used for constructive purposes. Listen to this. There must not be in it any malice, bitterness, resentment, or hate. Yeah. It's hard for us. Isn't it hard to picture anger that isn't entangled with malice, bitterness, resentment, or hate? Anger, like dynamite, has to be handled very carefully and used for constructive spiritual purposes such as overcoming injustice and combating genuine evil. Now again, not all anger is sinful or destructive. The key is how do you handle it? How do you deal with it? Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 26 and 27 says, be angry but do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. In other words, keep short emotional accounts and do not make room for the devil. We make room for the devil when our anger is not controlled constructively, but is let loose destructively. Anger doesn't have to be suppressed, but we must exercise care in how it's expressed. Too often, anger is simply immature and reactive. You got me, I'm going to get you back. You hit me, I'm going to hit you harder. It's like being a little child. Psalm 139, verses 21 to 24, is a good example of how to diffuse anger. David in Psalm 139 is venting his feelings to God in prayer before he interacts with anyone else. This is a very wise model. And he asked the Lord to examine and search his own motives and feelings. And David prayed. And listen, you can hear the power of his emotions. Do I not hate those who hate you? Oh, Lord, I and do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with perfect hatred. I count them my enemies. Can you see him pacing as he's praying this? Oh, I'm just so mad. And then it turns. 
You can almost feel him realizing, my gosh, I'm kind of really strong here. So then the prayer turns internally instead of outwardly at those other people. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Do you see how that dynamic changes from I hate them with perfect hate to work on me? You know, because of the many trials he faced, David could have lost it numerous times. And we have to acknowledge he is not the best example of self-control in the Bible. Yet to his credit, more than once, he had the opportunity to kill his half-crazed father-in-law, King Saul, who was trying to kill him. But David didn't give in to his anger. And his comrades even advised David twice that God had given him the opening he needed to kill Saul. But David refused. And even with the cries of God-sanctioned holy violence in his ears, David lifted up his hands in prayer to God rather than reaching down for his sword. Search me, O God, and know my heart. David knew his own motives couldn't be trusted. Test me and know my thoughts. David knew that his thoughts betrayed the reality of his own weakness and sinfulness. And David also wrote in Psalm 4, in verse 4, When you are angry, do not sin. Ponder it on your beds and be silent. Too many people, rather than being silent and pondering and reflecting about, why am I feeling so angry about this situation? Why is my heart rate going up? Rather than pondering and reflecting as David advises in Psalm 4, they reach for their phone or their computer keyboard and they start sharing their anger with the whole world. And again, the anonymity of social media allows people to spew hateful, angry speech without having any accountability for what they say. And this is a profoundly serious and even deadly problem. I'm grateful to all the people who recently helped weed and mulch in the meditation garden. Uh, made a substantial difference. We've got a couple photos here. You can see some of the folks doing some of the work. And James uses this illustration of a garden and says, you need to weed the garden of your own life. Uprooting the weeds of anger and bitterness and wickedness. And then you are to welcome the implanted word. The word of God that has the power to save your soul. You know, the foundational parable of Jesus is the parable of the sower. Some of you know it. The sower goes out and sows seed and it lands in four distinct types of soil. Some falls on the path where the birds quickly eat it up. Some falls on the rocky soil where it springs up quickly, but it has no depth of root. And when the sun beats down on it, it withers and some of the seeds fall among thorns that choke out the good seed. But some seed falls on good soil and bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. And that's the kind of soil you and I want to be for God's word. And that's why reading and studying and memorizing God's word is one of the most effective tools we have to deliver us from undisciplined anger. 
and it can save our soul, James says. Remember, if it takes a small thing to make us angry, that probably says something about the size of our spirit. Many of the scriptures I've mentioned today are worth committing to memory or reading on a regular basis. And if we can remember so much that's trivial, we can remember God's word that has the power to nourish and save our souls. Anger gives the adversary all kinds of opportunities to wreak havoc in our lives, in our families, in churches, and in the world. But God's word can soften the hardest heart if we give it the opportunity. Many centuries ago, a Christian wrote, the nature of water is yielding. And that of stone is hard. Yet if you hang a bottle of water above the stone so that the water drips drop by drop, it will wear a hole in the stone. In the same way, the word of God is tender and our hearts are hard. So when people frequently hear the word of God, their hearts are open to the fear of God. One of our highest callings is to learn how to manage our emotions and to channel them into useful, purposeful, mature, godly action. In our culture, we are adrift in a sea of uncontrolled and undisciplined emotions, especially anger that is leading our nation into an increasingly dangerous situation. On the web, on TV, on radio, we are deluged with thousands of angry words and images. And I hope rather than sinking to the level that we see from too many people, that you'll reflect on your own temper, that you'll reflect on how you handle and express anger. I think perhaps Paul said it best. You know, sometimes people want to contrast Paul and James. They actually say a lot of the same stuff in just slightly different ways. And Paul says in Romans chapter 12 and verses 17 to 21, do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. For by doing this, you will keep burning coals on their heads. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Please pray with me as I share a prayer. I'm going to say this like it's a prayer for me, and maybe it can be a prayer for you too. Merciful God, thank you for loving me even when I'm angry. I realize that cultivating anger damages my relationship with you and others and even myself. Thank you for forgiving me and giving me the freedom to forgive those who hurt me. Enable me to cope with situations that stimulate anger in me through your calm spirit dwelling within me. Help me believe that if I'm a new creation in Christ, then I am no longer a slave to anger. Christ controls me, and I yield my anger to him. Refresh me with your love. Help me to walk by your spirit each day and in every encounter I have so that I may be quick to listen, slow to speak, 
and slow to anger. In Jesus' name, amen.